Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal Podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Greetings, this is Rob Hartzler with TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Brian Badman, shoulder specialist at Indy Shoulder in Indianapolis. Dr. Badman, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. I appreciate you having me. Today, we're going to be discussing your article, which is in press and open access at ASMAR entitled Short-Term Clinical Outcomes in Comparison of Ultrasound versus Magnetic Resonance Imaging of Superior Capsular Reconstruction. These 10 patients you're reporting on had surgery by you at Indy Shoulder during 2016 to 18. Tell us about your initial experience doing SCR in your practice. So I, my experience goes back, I think I was at one of the closed society shoulder elbow meetings. And I, I want to say it, I saw Mahata's, one of, one of his early presentations on SCR. And I, I, I you know, at that time, I, I, I sort of took the results back and, and I got to thinking and then I read a little bit more about it. And I think that, so that was probably like 2014, I believe, you know, 2015, I, I want to say is probably the first time I started doing that. And then I, you know, before I jumped in full, you know, full tilt, I talked to a couple of people that had sort of done it on a couple of patients. And, you know, I thought it might be something I'd want to trial and do because of the challenges. The challenge I have in my practice is that, you know, how do you manage the, the younger active patient with these massive rotator cuff tears? And they usually come in. So the ones I struggle with are like the 50 year old guy that's working still and he's, you know, he comes in, he's got good function, but you get an MRI and he's got this massive retracted tear. You know, there's not, there's not a whole lot of tendon left, but he's still, I mean, he still has that, you know, stable, you know, he still has a, a stable force couple. He just hurts. And, you know, I trained at, at Florida Orthopedic Institute. I was mild. I was one of miles. So mile Frankel. So I, I'm very quick to use the reverse. And then sometimes I know was I think Dr. Burkhardt said, you know, the re- reverse, uh, I forget what he calls it, but you know, almost to the point where we're putting reverses in everybody. Reverse mania, right? Reverse mania. Yeah. So yeah. I, you know, I, you, de- you don't want to be guilty of that, but I think, you know, reverse ultimately it's, it's for me, at least in my hands. And I think a lot of people's hands, I mean, it's, it is a reproducible tool, but uh, and the outcomes have been great, but I hate to do that in a younger person. I hate putting metal on plat, you know, thinking about putting a joint, an artificial joint in a young person, especially a young person that's still, you know, working and digging, you know, guy that, the guy, the guy that's doing the, the nine to five, you know, grind. Let me um, set that, that whole indications piece off to the side for just a second. And why don't you, cause I want to come back to that, but just sort of tell us what you found in the, in the study with these uh, 10 patients. What'd you find on ultrasound, MRI, healing rate, clinical outcomes, all that stuff? So I use ultrasound, I've used ultrasound in my, in my practice for probably about eight years. Um, so I've, I've gotten pretty comfortable doing diagnostics on rotator cuffs and stuff. So I was interested in knowing, I, I basically wanted to see what the graph looks like. In my early experience, so I, I had done probably 40 SCRs prior to the collection and as, as most, as you know, and probably most people, know, I mean, research is not cheap. So having a patient 
to do, come back at a year or even two years post-op to get an MRI, sometimes there's cost to that. So I approached Arthrex and got a grant to, to allow them do, to do imaging. So we follow, I, I followed 10 patients, which I know is a very small number, but we, I, I basically sort of, you know, did an SCR for the indication massive cup tear with good motion. I did not do it for pseudoparalysis. And we were just, I wanted to see what MRI and ultrasound would look like. Because I know when I was checking patients with ultrasound in my early experience, like the first 30 or 40 I did, everything looked great. The graph looked great. And, and outcomes, I think, for the most part, not everybody does great, but I think for the most part, if you, your starting point to, to, to where they would be like at one or two years, people felt better. They, you know, they better function, their pain was better. And so I was curious about like, well, what's the graft really look like? And so that's, and so I had some data and, and so I would, I just correlated their MRI with my ultrasound when they'd come in, I'd say, let's just check ultrasound, you know, look at it. And I'd, and then we would then, we got the MRI. And the surprising thing was that, you know, when I looked at my ultrasound, my failure rate was 10%. And I, you know, you, you want to high five, you think you did a great job. But then when we compared the graphs on MRI, we, we, I realized that I had actually a 70% failure. And a lot of those, so four of the 10 failures occurred at the level of the glenoid. And then I had two, two patients where the graph sort of ripped in half on MRI. And then it, we, you know, the one that I picked up on ultrasound failed at the level of the humerus, which, which correlated with, with the MRI. And I think, you know, so, so some of the surprising things that I, I took home from what I was finding was that if you're using ultrasound to look at the integrity of the graph, you're probably going to miss the failure of the graph a, a fairly significant portion of the time. And a lot of that is, you know, I knew limitations of ultrasound is you, you can't really see medial real well because the chromium typically obstructs. I mean, just, the ultrasound just doesn't go that well. And even no matter how you position the arm, you can't you can't necessarily get get that field of view. And so when they're failing at the level of glenoid, it's going to look like the graft is still intact if it's still connected to the humeral head. But when it rips off the glenoid, it, it you know it, it'll give the appearance on ultrasound that everything looks looks copacetic. But on the you know unfortunately on MRI, it gives you a little bit better detail. Another thing, I mean, you you found that uh, patients did well, did really well with SCR, regardless of whether the graft healed. What's your intuition about it? Do you think that they really do about the same, or do you think that it just wasn't high enough power to pick up differences between healed and non-healed patients? So I think I, I think I didn't have enough power. Um, I've I've tracked so that ten patients since I've published on those set of ten. I've had two fall out. One ended up going to Chicago to have his reverse done. And then I had another lady uh, with uh, the mid-tenon graft failure that, that I ended up converting to reverse about two, just right before this whole COVID thing popped up. So, you know, I, I've had now 20% conversion to reverse off of, again, I mean, small small set of patients. Let me hit you with a couple things. So you had done you said 40-ish prior to initiating the study. Is that right? That's correct. So you you felt pretty good about this being a successful operation in your hands. You were through the learning curve. You had fairly concrete indications for it. Is that all fair to say? Correct. You put in the paper your indications for 
surgery after failure of non-operative treatment, but you didn't talk that much about what your indications were for SCR versus other operations. So I just kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about if you are indicating these patients for SCR just based on their MRI scan, or are you taking the surgery and then trying to do the repair and only doing the SCR if the cuff is irreparable? How are you making that decision? So I tried to, for most of the patients that I did, I tried, I would try to make the indication off of preoperative imaging, preoperative MRI. And, you know, I think, you know, in 15 years of practice, I think I'm pretty good at reading an MRI and knowing when something's repairable or not. But there's definitely times where you, you know, you take them to surgery. And I had a, I had a handful of folks where I, I could send them for SCR. And when I got into their shoulder, you know, you do a couple releases and, and lo and behold, the, before you know it, the, the you know, the tendon sitting over the top of the tuberosity with really minimal tension at all. And so in that, in that set of patients, I would just do, I would do a primary repair and, that, and then not do the SCR. I, I, I was not doing it. So if I had a patient who came in with pseudoparalysis, I didn't feel like, like I could correct them with a, with a SCR if they were really migrated and the human head was already articulating on the undersurface of the acromion. And I know Mahada's got data that says, they, and I think maybe Dr. Burkhardt for, the, for that matter has data that says you can correct pseudoparalysis. I just wasn't, I wasn't convinced I could do that. And because that subset of patients, I would usually treat with reverse uh, or some tendon, you know, tendon transfer. Yeah, great. And I, I was also paying really close attention to table three, where you had all of the preoperative imaging data and it looked like Hamada grade three was also a contraindication because you didn't have any of those patients in the study it was only grade one or grade two that got the SCR. Is that right? Right. It, correct. Yeah. If, I think if, if I'm seeing some de- a lot of degenerative changes in the joint, again, I, I get concerned, you know, same, same reasons with if I'm seeing a patient with a rotator cuff tear and they've got arthritic change. I, and I just, I always think, you know, I'm fixing the tendon, but I'm I'm not really doing anything to address their joint. And I mean, for me, I, I, I don't want to have a patient come back and say I still hurt. The other so the other thing that I was paying attention to on your on your pre op data was it looked like these patients in general had pretty bad looking supraspinatus muscles by Gutalier. They were all three or four, what looks like one, two snuck in there, but and then but their infraspinatus uh, muscles were pretty good. They were mostly Gutalier zero to two. Correct. So it, so it sort of looked like to me that you required for them to be in a joint preservation SCR kind of indication mode that they had a good infraspinatus, good Terry's minor. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would probably agree with that. I, I was probably, and like I said, some of that was probably me pre-selecting some of these patients, you know, to point it, they usually uh, if you see the their starting point their their preoperative motion was not too bad i mean they they all of them had a above height shoulder shoulder uh, flexion you know so that probably could be deemed you know one weakness is that i, I was sort of pre-selecting patients that started off with very good motion and i was just dealing with you know patients with pain so you've done the study now and you saw the high failure rate on MRI on the meat on the glenoid side. Did you did you feel like you you read the MRIs? Is that correct? Is that 
the um, study results? Great. Okay. Did you feel like you were pretty clear on which ones were disrupted and which ones weren't? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and I, 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 I have snapshots that I presented, but you know, when the glen, when the, you can see it sort of separated from a glenoid, it's usually, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty clear in the same, the same token goes with like the mid, mid graph failure where it looks like it rips in half. Yeah. I think I agree with you that the mid substance ones seem to be pretty clear to me when I look at, cause I've reviewed a lot of these too, for our own studies in our, in our practice. And I think the glenoid I feel the most confident about, but sometimes I don't feel very confident about because at least the way we do it, there's tons of suture and anchors on the humerus side. And I think there's a lot of times healing where you get that signal in the graft. So I feel less confident sometimes about calling the humerus side on MRI. What do you think about that? Yeah, that, that actually is one of the times where I think ultrasound can sometimes get, give you a better feel because usually at least, I mean, when it completely pulls off on ultrasound, it, I mean, it, it sort of looks like what you're seeing with a, like a massive cuff tear where you got a bare humeral head. So I wonder, that might, I'd be curious to almost do a comparison. And I agree out of, you know, yeah. some experts review it and see if you had a difference. One of the critiques of my study was that, you know, is MRI really a gold standard way to look at graph failures? And I don't think we have that answer. You know, I don't, I'd be hard pressed to do like an, you know, one of those little, my eye, you know, arthroscopy views. I mean, as, as great as it would be to be able to do that, I, I just, I can't in my mind for envision, you know, patients be, you know, willing to undergo another procedure to just, just to look. So did the study change anything about the way that you, let's start out with this, the way that you're indicating patients for the operation or how the frequency that you're doing it are you still doing it (laughs) yeah so i am so one of the things i questioned was then you know is is it because of the graph thickness you know because i think when you look at mahata's data you know i think you can you can look at a couple different ways mahata you were using a three you you were using a three millimeter dermal graft is that right for all these that's correct okay great um so you know when you look at mahata's studies and his outcomes and even even his failures that that he reports you know, it's it's dramatically less so is it is it a matter that you're using that we in the states are using the acellular graph versus you know an, an autograph like the fasciolata that he's using the thickness and so i'm again i i, I I've talked to a couple of docs that had done fasciolas in the States and they said that the donor site, you know, the pain on the, from the graft site was actually more than, you know, the shoulder surgery itself. So I started using one of the companies has a little bit of a thicker graft. So instead of like the three millimeter graft, I I switched to like a five to six millimeter graft thinking that that might make a difference. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I still am doing, I, I still do offer it, you know, in, in select patients. I think I'm probably a little bit more apprehensive, you know, to recommend it, but it's, it's always hard to argue with outcomes too, because a patient, if you do something, a patient's doing better, you know, I, I think there's still, it's, I think it's still potentially, a, you know, something to have as an option. Right. I guess my thought is that if we can't get the healing rate better, then what's the point of putting the the graft in? Because maybe patients are, in that case, just benefiting from partial repair, treatment of the biceps, et cetera. What do you think about that? 
No, I, 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 I strongly agree. I know Derek Cuff presented on like partial repairs a couple of years ago. And, and, and I think a, a strong case can be made, you know, are we really changing, you know, I mean, because I don't think it's really, at least my, my, my opinion is that the graph, if the graph's ripping and if it's failing, it's not, it's not really reconstructing the super capsule. I think it's creating more of like a, like a spacer or a buffer or it creates like a little scar ball. Um, and so, you know, the question, if you go in there and just do, you cut the vice up and, you know, clean it out, I think, you know, those patients may just do, do very well, do just as well. And, and without, without a lot of the extra expense that we're putting them through. Um, do you think that it might be that the dermal grafts heal slowly enough so that we have to really maximize the, the technical fixation and bone prep and then really slow down their rehab and things like that to improve healing? Is that, I mean, is it that the healing is too slow for the mechanical stresses that it put on it? Or do you think that it's just these dermal grafts don't, don't heal well enough for any, you know, for any technique to make them work? Yeah, it might be a little, I'm sure it's probably a multifactorial thing. It's definitely a healing, uh, you know, to your point, maybe slowing patients down if you are going to do it to let the graft potentially incorporate for over a longer period of time. You know, I definitely, I guess to, to the question earlier about, you know, changing your technique, I definitely, I try to I definitely do more, you know, bone prep on the glenoid. These were uh, two anchor, I think all 10 were two anchor glenoid fixation. Is that correct? Correct. Early on, I was, so early on when I started the SCR, I was doing doing Chris Adams double pulley technique where you, you know, tie suture together and sort of shuttle the graft down by, by tensioning on your either tail of either anchor and you shuttle the graft through laterally through your cannula or your passport. In doing that, I had a couple of those uh, three, two anchors pop out. And so I then transitioned, I used a bigger anchor, I did, went to a 4.5 anchor. And then in doing that and putting an anchor in posteriorly, I had one of the, I had one of the anchors crack the glenoid. So I then I went back to the three twos and then I, I then I developed, I just figured out a way to pass a shuttle suture through an advisor portal where you basically would tie your sutures through that and then, and then shuttle, shuttle the graft basically by, by pulling your suture through an advisor portal. And then basically, and then the, the graft would then lay, lay down right over the top of the glenoid. So is now, it still a two anchor technique for you? Yeah, it's typically. still two anchors, but now, now, so before I was just doing like a, you know, a single knot front and back. Now I do, now I use a, a, you know, a double loaded anchor and I pass four sutures to the front and four sutures to the back. So now I've got like, you know, eight, eight points of fixation, or, you know, two, two sets of two stacking knots front, front to back where, you know, so four knots all together, sort of laying it down. And is it on the humorous side? Are you doing just tape, uh, a link double row tape repair, speed bridge type fashion repair? Yeah, speed bridge fashion. And then if there's any infraspinatus posterior, I like to, you know, usually put two or three convergence sutures to, to lay it down and connect it in the back. It did look like you, so you repaired a few subscaps. It looked like two out of 10 to me. And then the infra about half. Did you did you feel confident on MRI and ultrasound to assess the healing of the partial repairs? Because that's something that we're trying to look at right now. And I find that myself to be very difficult to assess, 
you know, did the partial repairs heal? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's a definite, a good point. It, in, it is hard. And I think some of the challenges are the fact that once you have the graft in there, it's sort of, especially if you're converging the graft to the native tenon, you know, whether are you seeing graft or you're seeing the actual, you know, the, the, the infraspinatus that you pulled down. So I think that's hard. I think that's definitely challenging. You think that you're doing SCR a little bit less now than you were prior to the study? Yeah, I think I probably now I'm I, I definitely am not as quick to, to do it. It's still it's still some like I, I saw a patient today where I discussed it again. So is I, it more reverses? Or are you doing ten you know, tendon transfers, partial repair? What are you what are you yeah, hedging so, more towards? So now now I'm on I'm on Basam's like kick where I, I, I've done a couple low, lower trapezius transfers on a on a couple folks where you know where Prior to that, I'm, I might have done like an SCR and repaired their infraspinatus. Um, definitely different indications, but you know, I my hope. I'm curious about what the in-space balloon is going to offer. I mean, talking to a couple of people that were on the on the IDE team here, it sounds like it might be it might be another viable option. And I'm curious if that if when that becomes available in the states, is that going to supplant like people doing SCRs and, and maybe even, you know, some of the reverses that were, I'm just curious because that, that might be something uh, that might change how we look at this as well. A lot of options for these younger patients with massive, you know, these tough rotator cuff tears. It's really, it's difficult to know what to do with them because there are so many things that seem to, they seem to clinically work well. Right. I totally agree. Well, any other, um, any other closing thoughts? No, I'm hoping I'm hoping we're all past this this COVID stuff soon, so that we can get back and, and at least start using our our, our skill set again. I think that's the best closing thought that's been offered on the podcast to date. So congratulations for that. I I'm in complete agreement. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. No, I appreciate you you, you let me ha- have some time to discuss and chat. This article, currently in press, in Arthroscopy, Sports Medicine, and Rehabilitation, Short-Term Clinical Outcomes in Comparison of Ultrasound versus Magnetic Resonance Imaging Superior Capsular Reconstruction, can be found open access on the journal's website at arthroscopy, sports medicine, and rehabilitation.org.